Welcome to another episode of Passing Judgment, a podcast for people interested in politics and the law, and hopefully people interested in a funny and irreverent take on both of those things. We have a special episode for you this week. We're going to break down one of the most consequential cases of the Supreme Court term. It is July, and that means it's Supreme Court season. And the court just came out with a pretty big case dealing with the power of Congress, the power of the executive, and specifically with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Today, we have a very special guest who I hope will be a regular, my dear friend and our producer, a musician, the creator of this podcast music, and the host of the Independence Day podcast, Joe Armstrong. Welcome, Joe. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you for asking me to be part of this. Will you tell me, uh, before we all forget, how we can find Independence Day? Of course. I am branded fairly in a standard manner across the interwebs and social media at Indep Day. That's I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y. And the show is mostly about uh, musicians in the music business and how artists and musicians are dealing with the changes in the music business. I'm just excited that you said interwebs. I just got hung up on that for a minute. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> you said irreverent, so I'm, I'm going with the theme. So let's talk about today's topic. Given that it's Supreme Court season and there's a lot of big things happening and you're the genius Jedi to talk about these sorts of things, this ruling is about the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. So I've got credit cards. You've got credit cards. Many Americans have mortgages and car payments. So what is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau? Yeah, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is an executive agency. It's an independent agency, kind of, put an asterisk there. It's really designed just to protect consumers, to protect people who have credit cards, as you said, who have loans, mortgages, who own stocks, from businesses behaving badly. And what do we mean by that? The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is actually the brainchild of now Senator Elizabeth Warren, and she pushed President Obama to create this in the wake of the 2008 Great Recession. And she said, our financial institutions aren't being policed enough. And so as part of this overall sweeping financial reform package, which is called Dodd-Frank, in it was the creation of this agency, of this bureau. And the idea is that they write regulations that they can enforce those regulations. They can actually sue in court. So they're like a little bit legislative in terms of writing regulations. They're a little bit judicial in terms of policing their regulations and then going into court. And it was supposed to be a really robust organization to make sure that mortgage, mortgage institutions, credit card companies, that all of these companies were not trying to unfairly gouge or behave unfairly with respect to consumers. That's, it's a very complicated agency, but that's what it boils down to, protecting consumers. Now, protecting consumers sounds like a pretty good thing. I happen to be a consumer. I happen to be a citizen. Those things sound pretty good to me. So tell me who likes it and who doesn't like it and why. Yeah, so who likes it tend to be, and this, like everything in America in 2020, and frankly, before and probably after, um, the people who like it are typically the more progressive Democrats who are comfortable with more regulations, who think that the economy actually functions better if we have a check on Wall Street financial institutions. 
Conversely, the people who don't like it are uh, more conservatives, uh, Republicans who say, we do better, the economy does better if there's a freer market, if we don't have those restrictions, uh, you know, the cold dead hand of the government on right. economic development. And so it's really split along party lines in terms of whether or not you think the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is a, is a good thing or if you think it's you know, strangling economic growth. Interesting to me because I wonder, I imagine some Republicans have paid some pretty hefty credit card late fees at one time or another. Follow through, everybody. So in light of that. So, yes, that's true, but it's it's follow the even bigger money, right? And this is something that I right. hope we'll talk about on the podcast a lot, which is look at who the big donors are. And it tends to be, it's it's a philosophical issue and it's a donor issue. So philosophically, yeah. I think Republicans just want fewer government regulations, period. But right. if you look at the bigger donors, the big business donors, they tend to also fund Republicans more. If you're a Republican, you want to keep your job, it's a rational calculation to say, I'm not going to support legislation that will include more regulations on my biggest donors. Yeah, yeah. I will spare no opportunity to reference The Wire. One of the big things about The Wire is <laughs> follow the, the wire. money. Follow the money. Follow the money. Lester Freeman always says, follow the money. So, okay, so that sounds like, oh, it's a good thing. So it falls along party lines. So then how did this wind up finding its way before the Supreme Court? Yeah, so this is interesting. There's a group called SELA Law, and they were actually being investigated by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Maybe we should just call it the Bureau now uh, for shorthand. Yeah. CFPB. And, yes, the CFPB really rolls off the tongue. And they were being investigated, and their kind of way of reacting in part was to challenge the structure of, let's call it the agency. So what they said is basically twofold, that the agency is created as, quote unquote, independent from the president. And one of the ways they tried to reduce the influence of the president on this agency is to say that the president can only fire this single director of the agency for inefficiency, neglect of duty, or malfeasance in office which is another way of saying, if you, the president, have a director of the agency that you don't like, you can't just get rid of that person. You have to fire them for, it's called a cause. You have to be able to point to something and say, you're not doing your job well, as opposed to, you know, frankly saying, um, kind of under your breath, you're investigating my friends, or you're investigating my big donors. And I would prefer a director who goes a little softer on those people. So Now, that's a similar situation to other, other agencies, correct? There are other directors of other agencies in the government that have to be removed for a cause. It can't just be for a flippant reason that they don't like the football team that this director supports, right? Yes. Thank you for picking a sport that I know absolutely nothing about um, and would not feel passionately about in any way. That's exactly right. Cricket, so then? <laughs> How little you know me after all of these years. Cricket, I think we all know it would be ping pong or badminton because I am a living stereotype. So let's say that the president doesn't like the badminton team that the director of the agency is supporting. Right. Now, you have to, prior to the Supreme Court's decision, you have to point to more than the badminton team. And 
what and you asked about other agencies. So if you look at some other and these are again, these are called executive agencies, agencies created by Congress that exist under the executive branch and have they're they're part of something that's really important called the administrative state, which basically means these agencies that can write rules, write regulations, in some case enforce the rules. Again, Democrats tend to be very supportive of these agencies. Think about the Security and Exchange Commission, the Federal Trade Commission, uh, the Federal Communications Commission. It, even, oversight of some kind. Exactly. Thank you. Over. So these oversight agencies, Democrats tend to be more comfortable. Republicans, for the reasons that we talked about, tend to right. say too much government. It's stifling our ability to you know, truly have a free market where everybody right. wins. And so there are, as you said, there are other agencies in our government where um, we we have a system where the president has to point out and say, there's a reason I'm going to fire you. Now, they look a little different than the Consumer Financial Protection Agency. And let's talk about that. Right. And it's newer as well. So that's a that's part of this as well. Right. Some of these other agencies that have that kind of blurry area that exists in that blurry area have been around longer. Yeah, so ab- absolutely. The, so the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is 10 years old, which is actually kind of new when you compare it right. to, again, the SEC, the FCC, the FTC. Sorry about all the acronyms, everybody. And part of it is that it's newer. Part of it is that it has a single director who's appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. And the other agencies we talk about tend to be more multi-member. So the structure just looks different. I see. So now what's the nitty gritty here? The issues before the court in this particular case were what? Yeah, the nitty gritty. um, Everybody take take a breath while we go very quickly into a law school. Join me in the law school classroom. It's not going to be painful at all. So the question, there were basically two questions before the Supreme Court. And the first is, does it violate the separation of powers to have an executive agency where the president has to point to a reason for firing that director, where the president can't just fire that director at will? Now, why would it violate the separation of powers? Because under the Constitution, the president has the sole power of faithfully executing the law. And the argument, and this was a winning argument, was that if the president has the power to faithfully execute the law, then the president has to be free to say, I don't like that director. There was a secondary argument, which we didn't get to, which was if we do say that the president has to be able to fire that director at will, then do you get rid of the entire Consumer Financial Protection Bureau? And the court on that one said, no, we don't. We're going to separate those two things. We're going to separate the how you fire the director from the overall structure. Yeah. So essentially, it was kind of a mixed bag. They didn't get rid of it outright, but they did kind of shift the balance of power, which has happened many, many times, as I understand it, through the course of our government over these last hundreds of years. You know, there's this balance between who has more in that given age. Sometimes it's the executive branch. Sometimes it's the le- uh, the legislative branch. And the judiciary winds, the judicial branch winds up being the place where those fights play out. 
And in a way, would you say, is it possible that because, you know, those, those, uh, those jurors on the Supreme Court, uh, not jurors, those judges on the Supreme Court, forgive me, uh, are appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate, that even adds an extra layer of complexity on top of that, does it not? Because a president, once they can appoint that judge, the court swings just like the other branches do between more conservative and more liberal, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the biggest issues, we're going into the presidential election, and I've often said to people, this isn't quite your question, but if you want to be a single-issue voter, vote based on who the president is going to appoint to the federal court, to the judiciary, because these are judges, again, who are appointed for life, and uh, you can only be removed based on an impeachment process. We know from past experience, impeachment is qu- a quite difficult process to be successful yeah. on. Has it, it has happened, but it hasn't happened very often, right? Extremely rare. I had um, the benefit of working for a wonderful federal judge here in California. And when we used to talk a little bit about the, you know, the purpose behind lifetime appointment, and the purpose really is... Because if you look at what judges are doing, they are applying a new set of facts to existing law. And you don't want the judges to be thinking in the back of her mind or his mind, how will this play in the next election? It, because right. almost by definition, some of the rights at issue are individual rights, which are we need to protect against popular will. Um, and so that's that's the purpose. We For a whole other episode, should we have lifetime appointment for Supreme Court justices? Absolutely. Yeah, it seems like America is a, it's like an oil tanker, right? It takes a very long time to turn it. And the judiciary seems to be like a built-in safeguard to like quick turns on the wheel that might break off the rudder. <laughs> Am I thinking about that correctly? I love that visual. I think... Maybe this is just where I am in time and space right now, but I think of America like a tanker that has a spark in <laughs> a spark in the tank, and it it might you know it's not looking particularly good right now, but we might still be able to get someone in there to fix it. So, but yeah, <laughs> I you know <laughs> agreed. For me, sometimes it's not even as rosy as your picture. I imagine there being a big fire in the galley. Now, the galley's still a long way from all those millions of gallons of oil, but it's still on the same boat. <laughs> I was trying to avoid the there's actually the fire. I was just trying to go with there might be a spark. But, yeah, it you know, it depends on the day. It depends on, of course, yeah. what the um, COVID graph looks like at any given moment. Yeah, well, you're the, you're the law professor here. You're the one who's supposed to be, you know, impartial in these situations. But now, what was the reasoning behind this decision, right? We've, we've kind of circled around why it happened, yeah. uh, how it happened, like what, what caused them to, to rule in this way? So it was Chief Justice John Roberts, obviously the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and now the most powerful jurist in the world who's at the center of the court. He wrote the opinion, and uh, it was a very thin majority And he said, this comes down to the separation of powers. And because the president has the sole duty to make sure that laws are faithfully executed, uh, the president must have the authority to fire the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau at will. You can't force the president to have to point to a reason. And this, of course, means that um, Congress is limited in creating now executive agencies 
that are independent of the president. And so once again, we're looking at a situation where who the president is, is right. even more important than ever. And that's a shift of power. Um, you know, like there's so much sand in this pile and there's so much sand in this pile. And over the years, it kind of shifts back and forth. Now, people who are more conservative may think, oh, that's great. You know, Trump then can eliminate whomever he wants from this agency as the director. But as we all know, that's not how the presidency works. It goes back and forth. So, I, you know, people need to think about that when they're thinking about these sorts of decisions. Now, what, what about the other side? There were people on the court who I know voted the other way. Tell me about the dissent. Yeah. It, just to pick up on one thing that you said, which is so important and something I try and tell my students, don't think about whether or not you want President Trump to have this power. Think about whether right. you want anybody in the Oval Office to have this power. Some of my students are Republicans. Some of my students are Democrats. Frankly, that makes for a much better class when we have a diversity of, of views. And that's really something I try and say. Don't think about, in this case, do you want President Trump to be able to fire the head of this executive agency or other executive agencies? The question is, do you want the president to have more power, any president? And as you said, there's been this kind of steady march over the years where you can, if you think about those piles of sand that you just talked about, it, the sand is shifting from con the congressional branch over into the executive Think about, for instance, the war powers, where it was supposed to be up right. to Congress to declare war. Think about you know, so many issues like um, national emergencies, where it seems like Congress just kind of pushes things over and says, well, like, well you know, Mr. President, if you want to take the political heat, and then right. it, they, they just keep shoving power over uh, towards the executive. Now, you asked me about the dissent, though, and the dissent was written by Justice Elena Kagan. She's a great writer on the Supreme Court. And she has this kind of made-for-social-media passage. And she writes, what does the Constitution say about the separation of powers and particularly the president's removal authority? Spoiler alert, about the latter, nothing at all. And it honestly cracks me up, Jessica, to hear that kind of verbiage <laughs> coming out of a Supreme Court justice. You know, you, you when we think about those, at least when I think about those justices, you know, they almost live in like this cryogenically sealed world <laughs> yeah. where they bring them out, set them up on the bench. And then, the, you know, the, the cases are played out before them. And then when they're finished, they get put back in cold storage. It's like they're almost inhuman in their their position in our society, but they're real human beings. And the young, you know, as time progresses, they get younger and younger, or at least have been exposed to more technology. So, you know, bully for her for, uh, for using that. I mean, look, the president has no compunction whatsoever about leveraging social media to get a point across. So bully for Kagan. One of the things I really appreciate about Justice Kagan is that she is such a clear and snappy writer. And she's had a lot of these kind of asides or these, statements where as she's writing it, you can almost imagine that she knows that's what we're all going to pick out. And that, frankly, is going to go to the heart of what the case is. In our Constitution, it doesn't say anywhere separation of powers. It doesn't say right. anywhere checks and balances. This is what we read into the Constitution. We look at the structure and we say it's there. But as she says, there's nothing in the text of the Constitution, of course, that says Congress, you can't create an executive agency where the president has to um, 
you know, where the president has to point to a reason why you fire the head of that agency. This is just how we read the structure of the Constitution. And and she's saying in no uncertain terms, Chief Justice John Roberts, you're just wrong. And it it's fun to see that play out. Yeah, it's certainly it's unusual, but I don't think necessarily in a bad way, especially and this leads me to my next point out of this is that. A lot of these things, a lot of these rulings, you know, they come out every June, July in the summertime and people, you know, it's hard for them to apply them to their personal lives, right? All these things take place very high mindedly. Some of these cases take years and years and years to work their way through our own judicial system. So, you know, humanize this for us and tell us, tell me. What what does this matter to me? Right. I open this up by saying I've got credit cards. You've got credit cards. You know, some people have mortgages. Like what does this mean in brass tax sense for the American citizen? Yeah, I'm really glad that you asked that, particularly because it can be easy as a SCOTUS nerd to just, you know, get into the arguments and forget for a moment that we're talking about real consequences for real people. If you think about the 2008 Great Recession. In large part, it was because of either predatory lending or um, mortgage mortgages and uh, mortgage loans that were structured in a way that was just really bad for uh, consumers and homeowners. And the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is meant to guard against that. Now, the person leading that bureau is very important and can determine the direction. So under President Trump, he has said in no uncertain terms that he doesn't want this to be a strong agency. Um, I believe his uh, former chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, said that he thinks the agency's a joke. And so you can essentially hobble the agency so they don't really bring any new cases. They don't really write any new regulations. So it's there, but it's just a shell of itself. And consumers, you know, again, when you're using your credit card, when you're taking out a loan, um, if you want to get a mortgage, you just lack the protections and the knowledge that there's going to be, frankly, a watchdog uh, over Wall Street financial institutions. And um, so removing the independence of that director is something that I think could have very um, direct consequences for consumers. And the other thing is a little bit more amorphous, but it's something I worry about and we touched on briefly, which is, you know, what does this mean for Congress's ability to create other watchdog agencies? We don't want these watchdog agencies to be so much at the whim of a president. And for instance, you know, imagine a president who says, I don't like where the SEC is going with this because this is just getting, you know, XYZ is getting too close to a friend or a big donor. Um, we want the president to have to point to a real reason for firing uh, the leaders of these agencies, as opposed to just, you know, again, I don't, I don't like where they're going, or I don't like their favorite badminton team. And that's that. So right. I know we all talk about, you know, this term, we all talk about Trump's financial documents, a case, we all talk about the faithless electors case, we all talk about the abortion case. This, to me, is one of the biggest cases of the term. And, and that's why I wanted to talk about it with you wow. and why we wanted to do this special episode. So is this, do you, would you assess this as one step forward, two steps back, or some combination of the two? It's such a good question. I'm glad that the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau lives to fight another day. There was a possibility that the court would just say, I don't like the way you, Congress, wrote this provision for how the president fires right. the director, and therefore the entire agency 
is unconstitutional. The court didn't do that. And I think that that's a win. But this is such a punt. We're not going to know for sure for at least five years, a decade to see how this plays out and how Congress and the presidents use this new authority. Yeah. And whether uh, Trump has six months or four years and six months, it will play out differently. It's going to be very curious, as always, to see how it plays out. Absolutely. Again, please vote. Please vote. (laughs) Please vote. Yes. I'll sing with you. Vote. If you do anything, vote. Vote your conscience, whatever that is. Yes. Should we end with our mantra, which is, if you don't feel comfortable going to the polling place, which may make all the sense in the world, please feel very comfortable filling in your vote by mail ballot. Absolutely. That's your democracy. Participate in it. That's what I tell everybody. What a good note to end on. And thank you so much for taking on yet another role for the Passing Judgment podcast. Our producer, our sound engineer, the creator of our theme music. This has been so much fun. Thank you, Joe Armstrong. Thank you. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Thank you, Jessica Levinson. (laughs) Tune in again next time, folks. Thanks for passing judgment with us. Thank you, Jessica. Always eager to pass judgment on somebody. (laughs) 